step back from the Sermon on the Mount and talk to you about um, uh, basic doctrine in the Christian faith. And, and one of the reasons for that, brothers and sisters, is as leadership, we face challenges to maintain uh, a balance between how we disciple you, right? Um, when a church focuses too much on personal holiness, like we're doing in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, how we live the Christian experience, right? We tend to lose sight of things like evangelism, outreach, and sharing the gospel with people who need to hear it. Make sense? On the other hand, you can focus so much on evangelism, sharing the gospel, and creating programs all in the name of outreach and forget personal holiness before the Lord and how we are to live the Christian experience. And then people from out there come in here, and then they realize, hey, you guys are just as messy as we are, and you're really not doing anything about it, right? So there needs to be a healthy balance, right? We need to have a domestic policy, and we need to have a foreign policy as a church, right? Amen? And a good church will hold that balance, you know, not perfectly, but we'll seek to strive to be faithful to both calls that we have as a church. So we need an in-house ministry, if you will, and an out-house ministry. So, <laughs> so having said that, in the spirit, in the spirit of balance, what we're going to do this morning is talk about uh, baptism. All right, and I want to do that... Um, under three points. Uh, first of all, we're going to answer the question, what is baptism? And then secondly, we'll look at what qualifies us for baptism. And then thirdly, we want to look at why Christians must be baptized. All right, and my hope this morning, brothers and sisters and friends, is I want to give an invitation for those who have been sitting under the word for extended period of time, those of you who might be sitting on the fence, okay, in terms of a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is a formal invite, all right, from your pastor this morning. So why don't we pray, and then we'll get into our topic for this morning, all right? God, we thank you for your church we thank you that you have instituted it for not only your great name, O oh God, in the earth, but you have ordained it for us, your people, that we might develop community, that we might have tangible realities of your kingdom here upon the earth, that we might know more of you and how you deal with sinners such as us, that we might know of your gospel and how you save sinners. And we thank you for opening our eyes, O oh God, to value the church, to see the importance of community with your people, to be a part of the local church. And we pray that you would deepen our appreciation for it as we Hear your word this morning as we sit at your feet, our great God. Um, encourage us. Give us 
reasons as to why we do what we do. That we might do it with joy and that we might do it with full commitment for your great glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we want to do is answer the question, what is baptism? And that's easy, that's a no-brainer. Baptism is a sign. Okay, baptism is a sign. And it's a sign, first of all, that um, Christ is instituted. All right, he's established it. And I want you to turn to a passage. We're going to look, be looking at several passages this morning. I'm going to give you an overview, uh, even a historical lesson this morning. But if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, I believe it is, where the Lord Jesus instituted baptism. And so by sign, we, when, we, when we mention baptism as a sign, what I, the first thing I want you to understand is there's no intrinsic value, okay, in being baptized, all right? Meaning, baptism is just a sign. It's not the substance or the reality. So when you see the stop sign at the end of the street, it informs you that you need to stop, but it doesn't stop you, right? Your foot stops you. you. Press your foot on the brake, right? And it stops you. The sign is just there to direct you, point you as to what you need to do. All right? So baptism, first and foremost, is a sign that the Lord Jesus himself instituted for the church. Okay? And he instituted two basic signs or, or sacraments, if you want to use that terminology, that we as the church are commanded to do until he returns. One is baptism, the other is, think, communion. This morning we're just going to talk about baptism, all right? So Matthew chapter 28, and this is where the Lord Jesus commissioned the church to do this. Um, and I take it you guys are there. So we're going to pick it up in verse 16. And we're going to read to verse 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So the Lord Jesus had this nice spot that he used to meet his disciples with. And uh, there was an appointment, so he had some information that he wanted to give to his disciples. Very important information upon his inaugurating the New Testament or the New Covenant era. And this is it. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You hear that, brothers and sisters? Jesus is sovereign king of heaven and earth. Okay? Verse 19, based upon that authority, he's commissioning his disciples, and this is the beginning of the New Testament church, so when you, when you read this, you want to move from here to the book of Acts, and you'll see how all that was worked out. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, those whom Jesus sent to go do this very thing. You guys with me? 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So baptism is the first thing that Jesus does when he says how the church is to make disciples. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And that's a promise we have as a church, brothers and sisters, amen? That Christ is with, with us. When we gather together, he's with us. And he promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. But we need to be about his business as we gather as a church, not ours, okay? He's commissioned us to do his will, not gather together to do our will. You guys with me? Okay? So Christ has instituted this. The sovereign of the universe has said to the church, we need to be practicing baptism, all right? So baptism is a sign that has been instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ that identifies us as his people. Make sense? All right? So let me show you this, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you to uh, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to do a little history lesson here because I want to show you how baptism under the new covenant was the same has the same function as circumcision under the Old Covenant, all right? And that's where, where we get this idea of it being a sign in Scripture. So Romans chapter 4, are you guys with me so far? Am I, am I clear? Okay. Romans chapter 4, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to a Roman colony of believers, if you want to call it that. Um, that he preached the gospel to. And um, he says this in verse 4, and he's, he's trying to convince the Jewish mind here that would refute this, this gospel. And what Paul's doing is Paul's saying that this gospel to this Jewish mindset was taught under the Old Covenant. And he uses two key prominent figures to show that. One being Abraham, the father of this thing called faith, right? Being taught under the old covenant. And then he also uses David, the greatest king, okay, to live in Israel. The man after God's own heart. These two figures to show that this gospel that Paul was teaching to the Jewish mindset was taught under the old covenant, right? Meaning it's not a New Testament thing, okay? He says in verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Now, Abraham is not our father in this sense. We are Gentiles. What he's who he's talking to here is the Jewish mindset. And he's saying to the Jew, What did Abraham our father, according to the Jewish tradition and culture, what did he find? All right? And he goes on in verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, not before God. So if under the old covenant, if God working with Abraham was a works thing, then Paul stands what? Okay? And Paul is saying to the Jewish mindset that God wasn't teaching works with Abraham. Right? 
Now, when we read our Old Testament, we kind of think that way. We like, we, we're like, man, works is going on here. But, and then we start doing things like this. So, you know what? Under the Old Covenant, God must have taught works. But under the New Covenant, God teaches what? Faith in Christ, right? Wrong. Grace through faith was taught under the Old Covenant in God's interaction with Abraham. You understand that? That's what Romans chapter 4 is all about. That's what Paul's teaching the Jewish mind who was confused about that. Follow me? And by the way, most of Israel, that's why they crucified the Lord of glory and didn't receive him because they were also thinking that God was teaching works in the way they understood the law and the prophets. Follow me? Okay. So Paul's seeking to convince the Jewish mind, not so. Don't read your Bible that way. Don't read the Old Covenant that way. Read the Old Covenant through the lens of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And you'll see him all throughout the Old Covenant. Okay? So he says this in verse 3. For if Abraham, or verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? This is old covenant scripture because that's all there was. You guys understand that while Paul's writing, right? For what does the scripture say? Meaning your Jewish Bible, what does it say? It says this, Abraham, what? Believed God and it was what? Counted as righteousness. Oh, so I thought Abraham was working. No, under the old covenant... It says that Abraham believed God and his belief was imputed or counted as righteousness before God. He met that condition. He believed God and it was accounted as righteousness. Does that make sense? Is that clear? That's Bible, right? Okay? It's not Ernie King, that's Bible. All right, he says, Now to him who works, Paul speaking to the Jewish mind in, in Rome, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes, that's what Abraham did, on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted, or you can put the word impute, for righteousness. Okay? You guys with me so far? Is it clear? Then he goes on to use another juggernaut of a figure in Jewish culture. And by the way, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So what, what Paul's doing here is he's saying, see guys, God not only did this with Abraham, but God also did it with who? David. Two juggernauts. Right? You don't get any more important than Abraham and David other than Moses, but then you got to deal with the law thing there with Moses, right? And listen to David's testimony. And I think he, this, he quotes the Psalms here. For just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, saying, this is David's testimony, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Wow, that is amazing, is it, brothers and sisters? Okay? See, if you approach God on the basis of works, God will stiff-arm you like he did Cain. You are not going to get anywhere with me. But if you do well, you'll be what? 
accepted, forgiven. But if you don't do well, sin lies at your door and its desires for you. And it's going to take you. Right? God will stiff arm you if you approach him on the basis of works every time without exception. All right? But there's a free offer of the what, brothers and sisters? Gospel. And that is if you believe on the one whom he sent, if you trust in him, if you hang your life on him, if you commit to following him, God promises to save you based upon that, what he's done. Do you understand that? That's the message of the gospel. That's the hope that I want to give to you if you know not Christ this morning. Do you understand? It's one or the other. Default mode for you, if you're outside of Christ, is you're going to approach God on the basis of some kind of works, whether it be the Mormon rendition, whether it be the Catholic rendition, or whether it be the raw blank out on the street. You know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done some bad things, but ultimately my good will weigh out my what? I was just talking to a man yesterday at at a family event who just told me that point blank. He said, ultimately, you know what? My goods will weigh out my bads and I'll get in. Eh. Wrong. God will stiff arm you. He will reject you. Because he doesn't receive sinners on the basis of their works and their righteousness and how good or bad they are. He receives sinners under one condition, faith, belief in his son. The one that he ordained from before the foundation of the world that he would send into the world to save sinners. Because Jesus is the savior of sinners. Do you understand that? That's your only hope. That's the only way to be made right with God. There is no name under heaven given but by that name by where you can be saved. Period. End of discussion. It's that simple. And either you believe that or you don't. Okay? And we, as the people of God, want to encourage you. Run to God. Ask Him. Plead with Him. To save you. All right? Now, let's get back to baptism. Verse 9. Does this blessedness, that is, having your sins forgiven, right? Being considered a child of God, not having your sins accounted or imputed to you, but having the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, that's a blessing. Paul's saying, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Now I'm going to give you a little history lesson here because he's talking to the Jewish mindset. So the Jewish mind would have knew who, just exactly who Paul was talking about, right? Does this blessedness come to the circumcised only, meaning those who are of the covenant community under the old covenant? Remember how God made a covenant with, and we're going to go there. Remember how God made a covenant with Abraham, Right? All those who bless you, I will bless, but all those who curse you, I will curse, right? And for people to become a part of your community, Abraham, you need to get all the males what? Circumcised. See, the Jewish mind knew that. And Paul's saying, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? The uncircumcised would be what? Or who, brothers and sisters? Gentiles, you and I. Okay? But before we go there... I want to highlight something that Paul's seeking to nuance here or thread a needle with. Watch. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So Abraham was saved based upon his faith in God. That's what saved him. Not his works. 
his faith in God. Now, what Paul's doing is he's contrasting that with the work of circumcision. And he's saying, look, Abraham got saved before he did the what? Work of circumcision. Follow me? So Paul's not even making a faith an issue of works or what? Not work. It's already understood that faith is not a work. Follow me? See, we do that. We get all caught up into, well, is your faith a work or is it this or that or the other thing? Paul's not doing that. Paul's saying circumcision is the work. But Abraham believed God and he did that before he even obeyed God to do the what? Circumcision. You guys with me? That's the argument. He says, how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised, God granted him salvation. Imputed righteousness to him. But on what basis? What did Abraham do? He did something he believed. Do you understand that? He believed in God and God says, because of that I impute righteousness to you. You are saved. You are redeemed. Do you understand? That's what the Word of God is saying here. Watch. And, verse 11, he received the sign, circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. You guys understand that? So circumcision under the Old Covenant was a what? Sign. A sign of what? That Abraham was a part of the family of God, the community of God's people, the one chosen by God to represent his kingdom in the earth. Make sense? Is that clear, guys? That's what baptism does under the new covenant. It's just a sign. And just like Abraham already had the faith and, and the relationship with God, and then his circumcision was just a sign that he performed that represented that. That's what baptism is to you and I. You guys with me? Okay? Now, you need to be qualified to be baptized, just like Abraham needed to be qualified to be circumcised. He and all his house, by the way. All right? What is the qualification? Well, we've already stated it. It's faith in God. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what qualifies. If you meet that qualification, you need to be baptized. Okay? You are commanded to be baptized. It is not an option. All right? And I'm going to explain to you why. To encourage you. Not to make you feel guilty. Even though I want you to feel guilty just a little. Right? Guilt's not a bad thing. Guilt should be a prod to lead us to Christ. So, now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take you to Genesis to show you how all this took place. Let's just do that. Just, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. I, I want to show you the actual account uh, that uh, Paul is, is, is quoting from in Romans chapter 4. Genesis chapter 15, and we'll just do this quickly. This is the little history lesson that I was telling you about to connect uh, the sign of circumcision under the old covenant with the sign of uh, baptism under the new covenant, but both represent a part of God, us be becoming a part of God's kingdom 
or his community of uh, believers, his people, okay? And I'm laying it out this way, brothers and sisters, because some people tend to separate baptism from the local church. Some people like to take baptism and take it outside of the context in which the scriptures place it in. You guys with me? And we're not to do that. Baptism represents... Am I mic'd? Okay, I'm good. So Genesis chapter 15, it's the actual account and the promise that God gave Abraham to test where his heart was, where his allegiance was, and who he was going to follow in life. 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord... And don't take that lightly. The word of the Lord, the same word that you guys are getting this morning. God's mind, God's heart, God's communication to Abraham. If this is the word of God, and I, and I get it right, and I'm accurate, that's God's word to who? To you. So just like the word of the Lord came to Abraham, the word of the Lord is coming to you through the preacher. Right? So that means Abraham has to hear... And by the way, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Abraham had to hear, and then Abraham had to decide and make a choice. Am I going to follow the word of the Lord, or am I going to follow grandma, or my own heart, or the world, or the media, or the music I listen to? Or am I going to follow the word of the Lord? See? You guys with me? It's no different. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. I'm telling you today, according to the word of God, okay, that you don't have to fear. You understand? Because of God sending his son into the world to save sinners from their sin. Okay? There's a righteousness that you can have apart from your works and apart from yourself to where you don't have to fear death, you don't have to fear hell, and you don't have to fear God's judgment upon your soul. But you've got to make a choice. You understand? You've got to make a choice. You hearing that come to does not save you. God requires a response from you, just like you're going to see that God requires a response from Abraham. All right? And that's what the Bible calls faith. Not works, faith. Okay? But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one is born in my house in my house is my heir. And he's speaking of Eliezer, who wasn't a blood child, but a servant. And, and God had promised something to Abraham, right? That he would be what? The father of many nations. And Abraham's scratching his head, Lord, is it Eliezer? I mean, he's not even mine. He's just my servant. And I know in Jewish culture, sometimes the servants would be considered part of the family. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Blood relations, Right? Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. See, now it gets tricky because 
Now we can't rely upon the strength of flesh, me getting a woman pregnant, but anything that I can do, it has to strictly come from a promise that God has made. You guys with me? And that's what our faith is in. It's not in our ability to do or to perform. It's in a promise that God has made. And God has promised to send his son into the world to pay for sins. Okay? Now watch the promise here. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. This is God taking Abraham outside. So follow me and Abraham outside and let's look at the stars right now. And God's saying to Abraham and us, figuratively speaking, okay, I don't want you guys to think that I'm misapplying the text here, so on and so forth. So God is saying, look, see those stars? Can you count them? And Abraham's saying, no, I, I can't, Lord, because they're innumerable. It can't be counted, right? And he's saying, that's what your descendants are going to be like. Watch, he says, then he brought him outside and said, look, now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now verse 6 is what Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4. And he believed in the Lord. And this is what God did as a result of Abraham believing that promise. And it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about back in Romans chapter 4. This has nothing to do with Jesus Christ uh, uh, on the, uh, uh, the message, that is, you know, the, the, the phrases we use. But it has all together to do with Jesus Christ in the gospel. You guys understand that? Okay? So we can't get all caught up into semantics and words and things like that. We have to understand what's going on in the text. God is promising this man something based upon his word, and he's waiting to see the response of Abraham. Either Abraham's going to believe it or he's not. Abraham believed it, and God says, I count that as righteousness. You understand? Now, now what does that mean? It means that Abraham says, I'm down with the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to hang my life on his promises, and I'm going to live by them. That's going to be my life. That's going to be my commitment. And God says, be it unto you according to your faith. You understand that? That's not works, brothers and sisters. I know some of you think, well, that's works. Because God's asking him to do something. But the Bible doesn't define works that way. And you shouldn't either. Because you'll be led astray. You guys with me? Okay. We're going to get into how the Bible defines a work. Watch. So back to Romans chapter 4 circumcision, okay, don't go back to Romans chapter 4, I'm sorry, just in your, in, your, in your thinking, okay, thumbnail it. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7, or uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 17 now, and we'll look at the other thing that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 4 about when God instituted circumcision as a sign based upon Abraham's faith. You guys with me? And I'm probably taking too much time explaining all this. Um, is it worth it? Okay, good. Okay, so Genesis chapter 17, that's just, a, what, two chapters over? And listen to what God says now, his dealings with Abraham. Still, And keep in mind, anytime God speaks, that's the word of the Lord. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by God's word. And you guys need to read your Old Testament that way. Don't, don't read it through your theological construct first. Take the Bible for what it is, the word of God. Start there. 
and then develop your theology. You understand? Um, Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Wow, that sounds like works. And I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. The Lord, I'm confused. You just told me that it's not by works, but now you're teaching works in the way you're talking to Abraham. Wrong. You guys understand? God is not teaching works here. You guys with me? Because if you say, no, I'm not, then you've got to do something with God's language. You've got to do something with what God is doing with Abraham right now. Either God is the author of works or he's not. Right? We can't have it both ways. So he goes on in verse uh, 2, And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now keep in mind, it was based upon Genesis chapter 15 and the fact that Abraham what? Believed God and God began to impute righteousness to him. Right? And started this working relationship or covenant agreement. Meaning, Abraham, you believe my promises and follow them? I'll bless you. See how it works? Covenant meaning promises, not covenant meaning work agreement. Contract. Follow me? I have these promises, Abraham, and they started, by the way, before you were born, and even before the foundation of the world. But if you believe in them, I'll bless you. And that same promise is to you and me, brothers and sisters, and whosoever believes it. You guys with me? Okay? He says, then Abraham fell on his, or verse 5, no longer, verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant between God, or to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now either God is telling the truth or he's lying to this man. And we know God cannot lie, right, brothers and sisters? Because then we would have issues with the character of God. Okay? Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, here's the sign, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you through their generations. Well, what is that covenant? What's he keep talking about? Covenant, 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 covenant. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be what? There it is. That's the work that God commanded him to do. But in God doing that, God was not teaching works. It's unbelieving Jews and Pharisees in Israel who started that teaching throughout church history. And we have to be careful that we don't get on that bandwagon, brothers and sisters. You guys with me? Follow me? And you, 
God speaking to Abraham, shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. There it is. And that's how God established the community of believers under the old covenant and what we call the nation of Israel. Right? Okay? Now, why is that significant to baptism and where are we going and what am I talking about here? Because I'm running out of time. Big time. Here's the point, brothers and sisters. See, baptism is an official ordinance ordained by King Jesus himself when he left the earth for his people to do. We've already established that from Matthew chapter... Just like God commanded Abraham as the official recognition that you're a part of the covenant community, you need to get these men circumcised. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't what? Considered a part of the what? Covenant community. You need to treat baptism that way. Follow me? See, baptism is altogether connected... Excuse me. Baptism is all connected altogether connected with you becoming a member of the local church, the covenant community, God's people. You're going public. God commands you to go public. You have no right to be a closet Christian. There's no such thing as that. You understand what I'm saying? God's saying, upon you believing, you need to get baptized. Well, why? Because you're a part of my family, and you need to proclaim it. You guys need to celebrate it. And along with that comes privileges and accountability and family and so on and so forth. Because God has ordained that to disciple you. It's the church that is to disciple you. There's no such thing as you discipling yourself. There's no such thing as this Jesus and me. You know, I just got my Lord and we just do our thing. Now there's a place for individual worship and and so on and so forth. But that's not discipleship. And if you start despising the church and you start despising things like baptism and I don't need to be around people and all that, beware, brothers and sisters. Beware. All right? See, God has instituted baptism to be that official initiation into his community called the local church. And that's what we do under the new covenant. Thank God it's changed from circumcision to baptism. Right, fellas? <laughs> Definitely amen that. So, let's go back to um, let's see, where do we want to go back to? Let's go back to Acts and let's look at how all this worked out. So we can start with the gospel, but I want to turn there because I'm running out of time. I wish I had more time to talk about this. But So here's the deal. So God, under the new covenant, ushers in this new kingdom because Jesus Christ has come. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and he's come to establish the kingdom of God here upon the earth first, which goes into eternity, right? And when Jesus Christ came on the scene, him and his cousin, John the Baptist, this is why they came proclaiming the news, repent, and what? Believe. There's the conditions. 
And then if you repented and believed in Israel, you were to be baptized and added to the community of God's people. Follow me? Okay? Repentance and belief. Repentance and faith. Well, what is repentance and faith? Repentance means repentance first and foremost from a works approach to God. Not, your, not all your sins, right? It's what you do with those sins that, God, that God's concerned with, right? So you got to answer, if you're outside of Christ right now, you got to answer to God for all the sinning you're doing in your life. You know you're a sinner, right? Unless you deny God, which is sin. Unless you deny the reality that you're a sinner, which is sin. The point is, you, you got to do something with all that. you got to do something with your guilt and shame, right? you got to have an answer. Now, what is your answer? See, that's the issue. Forget about, the sin. Forget about murder, adultery, lying, stealing, you know, fornicating, uh, getting drunk, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is. Forget that for a second. Watching porn, forget all that. What are you going to do about that? See, if you approach God, well, say, you know what, Lord? Okay, I agree with the preacher up there that I do those things, but I do some good things. Uh -huh, hold on. I do some good things too, Lord. See, that's works. Follow? You, you see what I'm saying? See, you're trying to bargain with God at that point. You're trying, to, you're, trying to say, you're trying to convince God that there's some innate goodness in you somehow, some way. You, you, you know, you do some bad things, but I'm also good too. Uh-uh. God says, I'm holy. I didn't make you that way. Don't come to me with that. That's what Cain was doing. Do you understand? See, you need to go outside of yourself. You understand? Because you're already disqualified to get into heaven because God is holy, meaning he's perfect. And he made you to be flawless. And see, if he doesn't acknowledge that, then we have a problem with his what? Character. Don't try to bribe your way before God. You might be able to do it with me. You might be able to do it with your fellow humans. You know, look pretty good on the outside. You know, I, I tried it for years. You know, we're just miserable at the end of the day with that stuff too. But don't ever try to do that with God. He will reject you, okay? And he will show you his displeasure, anger, or wrath. Because you're messing with his character at that point. And he's a jealous God. And his jealousy first starts with his name and his glory and who he is, his character. Understand? Don't tamper with that. God is holy. God is just. And he won't be trifled with with anyone. He's to be feared and honored and respected for who he is. And thank God he's merciful and gracious and kind. And he's a forgiving God. Right? Hallelujah, Lord. You understand? That's why we're in. In a nutshell, that's my hope. That's my righteousness. It's based in who God is, not in who Ernie King is. It's based in his gospel, not Ernie King's ideas or terms or manipulations. So, Acts chapter 2, and we'll probably close here. And I failed you this morning, brothers and sisters, because, and I knew this this morning, I probably bit off more than I can chew. 
Um, this is a huge topic in Scripture, just like communion is, and I would like to talk about that as well at some point and how that's related to church and body life and Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and so on and so forth. But Acts chapter 2, and if we can get back to this, we would be happy people as a church. In verse 40, how much time do I have? Uh, we do, what, maybe 10 minutes for the communion service, and we try to get out of here by 11.30? Okay, 15 minutes? Okay. So Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Now keep in mind, Jesus just commissioned his church, and he said to go do this, and the apostles now are carrying the burden. The apostles now have the responsibility, they've been sent by the Lord to do what you're reading in Acts. That's why all this stuff and weird stuff and bizarre behavior is going on. And Jesus is with these apostles, these sent ones, okay? And what's happening is God is still fulfilling his word through them, the old covenant. Like, for example, the prophet Joel, where he prophesied, my, my spirit will be poured out and your men and your sons and daughters will dream dreams and have visions and, and they will speak in tongues and prophesy. That's a prophecy that God sent them out to fulfill. There's nothing in them. You, you understand? And that, that's, that's important for cessationism and continuationism, but that's a different, you know, whether the gifts continue for today, speaking in tongue, visions, hearing voices from God, as opposed to those who believe they ceased. This is, this is huge here, but that's another sermon. We can talk about that maybe some other time. The point I'm making here is the apostles are fulfilling this commission. And this commission started way, 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 way back in the Old Covenant. You guys with me? And these things, Old Covenant stuff still has yet to be fulfilled. Just because Jesus died and went back to heaven doesn't mean it all stopped. The sent ones are now commissioned to work all this stuff out. That's why Paul can get bit by a snake and what? Recover. And then he says, you know why that happened to me, fellas? Jesus, the one you crucified, just gave me that power. You understand? And so all the gifts and all the signs that they were given were to do one thing, magnify Jesus in the hearts and minds of Israel so that they would know, yep, we crucified the Messiah. Because look at that. It's fulfilled to the word we know and study. See how it works? See, Jesus was consistent with the law and prophets to, a, you know, to the uttermost, to every jot and tittle. Verse 40, And with many words he testified, this is Peter talking to Jews, and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Okay? And, if, and I wish we can do this, but if you'd back up and read all of two, what Peter just got through telling them is you crucified the Messiah. He's, he's putting guilt on them. He's making them feel guilty. But he's doing that to magnify Christ, to give them hope so that they would run to Christ. And that's why he says, flee this perverse generation. What perverse generation is he talking about? The Jews that had erected a works mentality in Israel. And they weren't getting anywhere with God. The Pharisees were the ringleaders for that. And Jesus is coming on the scene and he's correcting all that. He's saying, flee that generation. Don't be connected with them. Believe on the Messiah. Right? Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added 
Add it to what? To who? Okay? Now, it doesn't, my, my uh, text has italics there, so it should just be added. I'm asking you the question, to what? To who? Let's keep reading. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the sent ones. They're going around spreading this Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah doctrine. And fellowship, they began to gather and fellowship like we do. And the breaking of bread, they were eating and having people over into their homes and breaking bread and in prayers. That's what we do as the people of God, fundamentally, right? We love to eat, too. Oh, well, eating was there. They should have put that down twice for us, right? Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through who? The apostles, the sent ones. Why? Because they were establishing the New Testament church. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Hear that, spirit guys? See that? See what came upon the New Testament church, these people were so committed to Christ, his gospel, that they sold all, and they began to just mix and match. You know, we call that, you know, socialism, communism. That's the way, you know, social gospel, that kind of thing, we start talking that way. It's not a social gospel here. Okay, they were meeting the needs of believers. And they were going to be going under heavy persecution as a result of this new faith because they were in the den of the lions, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? That's why they had to start behaving this way. They were going to be losing jobs. Just keep reading through Acts, right? They're going to be threatened. Don't speak this way anymore around here or else we'll kill you. And before that, we'll beat you, we'll torture you, and then we'll kill you ultimately. And so they had to form a what? community and support one another and start, you know, selling homes and stuff and, and beginning to go underground and start these catacombs and, and, and hide out. And you understand? It's the beginning of the New Testament period, the New Testament age, right? He says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor. By the way, that term favor is the grace of God with all the people. And the Lord added to the what? Church. Daily those who were being saved. So, what's the order of events? The apostles were sent. They go back into Jerusalem. They start preaching this message. The Jews are sitting there going, Paul was one of them. You were on our side for a minute there, Paul, by the way. For a hot minute, you were on our side. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to you. And that message was, guys, we actually killed the Messiah. What? You mean the very reason for my, my existence as a Jew I missed? Not only did you miss it, you actually killed the Messiah. Oh, give me a stone. You, you're going to get it, buddy. That's the environment. It's not like in America. You guys understand that? We are wimps compared to what these people are doing here. Follow me? So some in the Jewish community heard that, and they say, you know what? 
I know my Old Testament. And you know what, Paul? Peter, you guys are right. I, I, I think that that's, I think Jesus is the Messiah. It's all adding up. And what you were doing on Pentecost, that makes sense. And, and, and they believed. <gasps> they believed it. And they said, you know what? I'm, not, I'm no longer with these Jews and these circumcision and work stuff and, and, and those who are interpreting Moses and the law and the prophets the way the Pharisee was. I'm going to make my lot with these who are Christians. I, I'm going to join them. I'm going to fellowship with them. I'm going I'm to benefit from the community of those people. Well, what's entrance into those people's community? Baptism. Do you understand? You, hearing the message, weighing it out, believing it, and saying, you know what? I think I'm going to follow these guys. Because I see, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now be merciful to me, the sinner. And your decision to follow Christ doesn't save you. Your asking Christ doesn't save you. What saves you is God giving you his Holy Spirit. And that's a sovereign act of God's amazing grace. It's what we call monergistic. Okay? Not synergistic. Meaning when God gives you his Holy Spirit, he decides to do that. He alone, that's what's monergistic about salvation. You guys with me? Okay? That, the fact that he has to give you his spirit. But you should be coming and calling and sitting under his word and aligning yourself with those who teach the Bible accurately and placing yourself under his gospel. And it just might be so happen that he saves your soul because he promised that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Whosoever will, let him come. And when you do your first act of obedience, you believers, and we know this, those of us who've been baptized and joined the church, our first act of obedience was what? To be baptized and join the church. Not, you know, clean up my act, get my life all together, stop doing, stop that, stop that. You, you need to do that, but your first act of obedience is you need to be baptized and join the church so that you can be taught how to observe all things. Remember what Jesus commissioned them? Not so that you can go figure it out alone on your own island or the Jesus and me mentality, but so that you can be baptized and publicly say to the world, you know what? I'm taken. I'm committed. I'm spoken for. Don't flirt with me, world. You know? See, as a married man, when the so-called honeys come my way, I got something for them. This bad boy right here. I'm taken. I'm committed. I'm spoken for. We are the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. We are taken. We are committed. We are spoken for. And Jesus is caring for us through the local church. And you need to give your all for that. Don't make that a lesser priority. Make that the highest priority. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first and let everything else be added. And what's the initiation to that process? Baptism. Baptism. What qualifies you to be baptized? 
faith in Jesus Christ and that alone, apart from your works. Amen?